All right, we are talking about the joy of the Lord. We are finishing up our series, so we better get there. Nehemiah 8.10 is what our series is based on, and here is what it has to say. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Was there strength in grieving? Was that where their strength was? No, it was necessary for them to go through that to get to the other side, to get to the joy of the Lord. But the joy of the Lord is their strength. Now, think of it from a church perspective. If we're all grieving and a new person comes in, is that going to be strong for Jesus? No, they're going to be like, what is going on here? These are some very unhappy people. But if we are joyful, if we have the joy of the Lord that that overcomes whatever circumstances we're under, and somebody comes into that, is that going to be a place that's strong for Jesus? Amen. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So we've been trying to figure out how do we get to joy? How do we make this happen? Four goals for this series. First one, which if you didn't have this before, this is worth coming. I give you permission to seek joy, fullness of joy, as part of your calling in Christ. As part of your service to God, you should seek fullness of joy in your heart. You may have heard, if it's fun, it's a sin. That's a lie. There are lots of fun things that are of God. In fact, He wants us to have joy in our hearts, to be filled with joy, and to have that be our strength. Now, we want to have wisdom, though, right? We want to know the difference between the joy of the Lord and short-term joy that's really a counterfeit that's going to cause us more problems than it's going to cause us benefits. We don't want that. We want real joy. So we want the wisdom to tell the difference between the joy of the Lord and the joy of the world. Or, you know, they say you can't buy happiness, but you can buy fun. We don't want the fun that covers up the other problems. We want to know the true joy and have the wisdom to be able to tell the difference. Then we want access to the joy of the Lord. Permission is fine. How do you get there? We want access. We want to actually get there. Amen? And we talked about the joy being like the promised land. So, the joy of the Lord is not in Egypt where you're in slavery and bondage to sin and all those problems and all that stuff that just is on you and you didn't pick it, but there it is. Then, the joy of the Lord is not in the wilderness where you you were too afraid to fight the giants so you got kicked out into the wilderness. The joy of the Lord is not there. But the giants are different from slavery because you got to go get those. you got to go get them. There's stuff you got to go get if you're going to get to the promised land. And you're going to have to initiate the battle. Then we get the promised land. That's where the joy of the Lord is. Is in the promised land. you got to stay there for a while for the crop to grow because joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So you got to hang out there for a little bit. Not get pushed off into Babylon, exile, because then you got to come back. Then you got to fight your way back. So that's, that's how you get there. That's access. And then we want the strength that comes from it. We want the strength that comes from it. Have you ever been in a worship service where everybody just loves Jesus? Man, does it make a big difference to somebody who doesn't know the Lord when they see people loving Jesus. When I was a, a new Christian, there was a lady at a church I went to down in Illinois and I was in graduate school. She was a bad singer. 
You ever? I mean, like really bad. Shrill. It was shrill and off key. And I mean, it was like I had trouble focusing. You know what I mean? I couldn't. I'm trying to love Jesus, but I had this problem. And uh, one, and I didn't know who she was. And one time, I sat right in front of her. She was right behind me, like right there. And I mean, it was loud. And so I thought, I am going to look and see what she looks like because I can't do this again. It's, you know. So I peeked. And you know what I saw? I saw this little lady, probably mid-50s, maybe 60, about five feet tall, with her hands in the air, and her eyes closed, and tears coming down her cheeks. She's just loving Jesus. And then something changed in here. I thought to myself, who am I to not like that? Whose team does that put me on? I want to be on her team. Because <laughs> she's got something that's right. And so from then on, I always listened for her. It, on the outside, it sounded the same. But it warmed my heart. You know what I mean? On the inside, I thought, wow, there's somebody in this place that is wildly in love with Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Imagine a place full of people like that, but who are on key or have the discernment to be able to... <laughs> or just not quite so loud. You know what I mean? If We're all in this together now. Imagine, imagine what that would be like. Everybody is just sold out loving Jesus and singing to Him, worshiping Him, praising Him. What that does to the atmosphere. Man, oh man, oh man. That is a place that is strong for Jesus. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Last week we talked about the condition of the promised land. So... If the joy of the Lord is this is a group thing, you know, we're in it together. And what is what condition is the promised land in? The place where the people of God hang out and do the things of God. What condition is it in? And I think it was pretty similar to I mean right now, don't you think it needs improvement? Are you in with the needs improvement thing? It's not completely ridiculously bad. In fact, the enemy can trick you into thinking all Christians and all churches and all groups are just bad and rotten and horrible. Well, they're not. You know what? There's a lot of really good people out there serving Jesus as best they can. They're not perfect, but you know what? It's okay. The Lord will make them stand. But I think it's like in Nehemiah's day. He looked at the promised land. He saw the holy city and the gates were burned with fire. The wall was down. The temple was destroyed. Ezra came, rebuilt the temple. Nehemiah came, rebuilt the walls, put the gates back up. I think we, we got some rebuilding to do in order to get to this holy city where the joy of the Lord comes in its fullness. Because it's a group thing. It's not an individual thing. 
You may think you can do this as an individual, but the fact of the matter is we are the body of Christ. And if one part suffers, the rest suffer with it. So we talked all about that. What do you do when you meet a goofed up Christian? Either a forgiven slave, a forgiven coward, or just any kind of goofed up Christian. What do you do? You make a doctrine against them. And you say they're bad people. Or you, you talk about them in a negative light. Or whatever. No, you, you help them. Right? You love them, you help them. That's what we're supposed to do. Because we all need that, don't we? We all need love. We all need help. I'm so glad that lady didn't have enough perception to realize I didn't like what she was doing. I'm glad she missed that. Because, oh my goodness, if she'd have stopped, that would have been a disaster. We help them. We love them. We encourage them. We pick them up. Who, who are your brothers and sisters in Christ? If we're going to help these people, who are they? Just us, right? Just us in this room. Just us. <laughs> Man, there's lots of them out there. They all need help. So do we. This week, what does it look like? If we were functioning in the fullness of this, what would it look like? Nehemiah had in his mind what it would look like to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, to put the gates back up. Ezra knew what it was like to put the temple back together. They knew what they were going for. What are we going for? What is it, what is it going to look like? That's what we're going to try to find out today and try to get to the depth of it. Not just to the superficial parts, but we're going to try to get in a little bit deeper. Um, but some depth is real simple. A good cup of coffee is all right. You know, if you can have joy in a cup of coffee, which I can do, you know that I got joy skills. I just enjoyed that. Then, what about the more important things? What about the deeper things? How much joy can we get? We can get some good stuff. What did it look like? What did the promised land, the kingdom of God, what did it look like in Nehemiah's day? Well, let's look at the next couple of verses after 8.10. Let's go to 8.11. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because now they understood the words that had been made known to them. So, this joy of the Lord is your strength. What did it look like? It looked like a feast. It looked like we're all getting together. We're going to eat some food. If you don't have any food, some people are going to deliver some to you so that you can party too. There's going to be plenty of food, plenty to drink. You're going to celebrate with great joy. How does that sound? That sounds good. Amen? Was it about the food? The food was more of an expression of it. It was the celebration of it. It was like, we got something good to celebrate. Let's eat some food. Let's hang out together. Let's, let's have a good time together because we've got something to celebrate. But the thing they were celebrating is they now understood the words that had been made known to them. They understood the truth of God. They were exiles, captives, not their own boss. And they got back to the promised land 
They found out the truth and they got an understanding of what God had for them. They knew who they were. The first thing they learned, who are we? We're Israel. We're the chosen people of God. We're the children of Abraham. We're the ones the promises were given to. This land is ours. They knew who they were. Do you know who you are? They knew that God cared about them. They knew it. Even though they'd been exiled, even though they had seen the disaster, they knew God loved them and cared for them. They knew that. Do you know that? They knew God had a good plan for them. That they were to dwell in the land. That it was going to be good. They knew God had a good plan for them. Do you know that? And they knew they had returned to where they belonged. We all have a place we belong in Christ. They got back to their place. What a blessing. What an opportunity to have joy. To know I am doing what the God of the universe wants me to be doing. Back in the promised land. Hallelujah. So they had joy. And it wasn't based on the burgers they were cooking on the grill. That helped them celebrate. That's perfectly fine. I'm all for burgers on the grill. Amen? Amen. But our joy goes deeper than that. Well, uh, here in Nehemiah, this celebration that they were experiencing was the Feast of Tabernacles. They were doing the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, I've never been like a Jewish scholar or anything like that, but I looked up some stuff to try to make sure I understood what was going on. And the Feast of Tabernacles was a week-long deal where they would remember the time in the desert. And so what they would do is, is they'd cut down branches and palm leaves and that sort of stuff, and they would make temporary shelters, primitive shelters, and they would stay in them for a week. Instead of being in the house, they'd be up on the roof of the house, or they'd be in the yard, or they'd be in the churchyard, or just in the town square, or whatever, the park. They, they were, where they had a place to do it, they would just set up these makeshift shelters, and they would stay there, and they would say, we're not in the desert anymore. We're remembering where we've come from. But I'm not going to stay in my house this week. Because I need to remember year after year where I came from so I don't end up back there again. So that was the Feast of Tabernacles. That was what was going on. So it wasn't just feasting, was it? It wasn't just burgers on the grill. It was also sleep outside. That was another piece of the puzzle here. So that's interesting. Let's read the, the account here in Nehemiah, just a little bit farther down in the chapter, verse 16. So the people went out and brought back branches and built themselves booths on their own roofs in their courtyards and in the courts of the house of God and in the square by the water gate and by the gate of Ephraim. 
The whole company that had returned from exile built booths and lived in them. Everybody did it. The whole group. What if we, what if we proclaimed a Feast of Tabernacles? What percentage participation do you think we would get? It's in October, you know, the, uh, the, the Feast of Tabernacles is October. It might be a little chilly. The whole group did it. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated it like this. And their joy was very great. Day after day, from the first day to the last, Ezra read from the book of the law of God. They celebrated the feast for seven days, and on the eighth day, in accordance with the regulation, there was an assembly. So, this had been out of practice for a while. Since Joshua. Joshua was one of the guys that said, we can take the giants. We should go into the land. And he was one of the guys that spent 40 years in the desert wandering around. And he was one of two that got to have those experiences and go into the promised land. He was there when all that stuff happened. And this festival, this feast was not happening since then. It had been forgotten. It had passed away. And so the Israelites at that time were putting their heritage back together and putting themselves back in the place God wanted them to be. And they were very excited about that. They were glad to be in the place God had called them to be. There was great joy. So, I'm not going to call a Feast of Tabernacles. It's not going to happen. But what would that look like for us? What would it mean for us to be right in the middle of where God wants us to be? What would that look like? You know, I mean, I think so many people are so caught up in the failure forgiveness loop that they don't even know what it would be like to be walking with God. They're so afraid to conquer giants that they, they don't know anything but the desert. Or maybe they've been there for a while, but they slipped off and now they're bound by other things. At least them, they tasted it. They can come back. What would it look like to be there? Because that's where God wants you to be. It's not that He wants us to be sinning all the time and falling apart and being afraid to do anything and just all pathetic. He wants us to be more than conquerors. He wants us to be overcomers. That's God's plan for each one of us. That's a universal truth that we are more than conquerors, that we are overcomers. Amen? Do you know who you are? If you are a believer in Jesus, you are a child of the living God. And there's certain things that come with that. Are you getting it? I might have to, I might have to say it louder and repeat myself. You, do you know who you are? You're a child of the living God. Hallelujah. That's amazing. That's amazing. What would it look like? If the kingdom of God came, what would it look like? You know, Jesus prayed for the kingdom to come, right? Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a lot of things you can learn from that. Number one, 
Understand this, there are more influences on this earth than God. Do you believe that? There are more influences on this earth than just God. You may have had some experiences with ungodly things. That is not from God. So don't get messed up with the theology of everything is God. Everything isn't God. There's the devil and there's our own stupidity and there's the curse and there's it's just it's a mess. There are other influences than just God. So Jesus said, Thy will be done, thy kingdom come on earth like it is in heaven. We know it's good there. But this is a mess. So he's praying for some of that to come here. Right? For some of that kingdom to show up here. For some of that, where God's will is done, He's the only influence, where His kingdom reigns, let some of that show up here too. Where is it going to be? So, hmm. Let's look at Luke 17, 20 and 21. Luke 17. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, so when the Pharisees were asking Jesus when the kingdom of God would come, even when Jesus was around, the, uh, the Holy Land was ruled by the Romans. They weren't in exile, but they were ruled by a foreign power in their own land. And so, they just wanted the Romans gone. This was a political question. When is our party going to win and the Romans going to get booted? When is that going to happen? Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, Here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. Where is it going to show up? It's going to be on the inside. you got a kingdom in here. The kingdom in here will show itself out here. But it's got to get in here first for it to show up on the outside. The kingdom of God is within you. Now, when Jesus said that, what he was meaning to say to the Pharisees is, you're looking for something, but you're looking in the wrong place. You're looking for something but what you're looking for, you're, you're just messed up on how to understand it. You're looking in the wrong place. Do you want God to change your life? Is that going to happen on the outside or on the inside? It's going to start on the inside. But you get that on the inside, and the outside's going to start changing too. It's going to start on the inside. Don't be looking on the outside. How many people think that there are other people that are your primary problem? You are your primary problem. I am my primary problem. If it wasn't for me, my life would be way better. Either by the mistakes I've made or the lack of seeing, the blindness. Man, if I could see, that would make it so much easier. You know? Ah, help me to see. But if you're expecting something to happen on the outside without something happening on the inside, you're just looking in the wrong place. So if we're looking for joy, 
We've got to look on the inside first. So let's take a peek at what our forefathers, what it looked like for them when they went into the promised land. You know, I'm not, I'm not Jewish. I'm Norwegian, Scandinavian and such, which is awesome. Uh, Ludafisk. All right. What is it, what does it look like for us? What did our forefathers do? Our forefathers are the New Testament believers. The ones who, who just believe Jesus. Now these ones happen to be Jewish, but we're in that group too. Because nationality doesn't matter in this particular uh, situation. So Acts 2, starting in verse 40, let's see what our people do. With many other words, this is Peter, day of Pentecost. Big miracle. Then you preach. They listen after the miracle. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000. That was a pretty good day. Man. They devoted themselves. So let's look at these four things they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which, of course, they would listen to the apostles' teaching, but now we have it written down so we can read it. Uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. So we're eating again. Isn't that good? Yeah, eating. Got to eat. And to prayer. These four things. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. You know, this everything in common thing is an amazing deal. Everything in common. I looked up what fellowship meant because I thought, well, fellowship is hanging out and having fun together, right? Sure, you know, I guess that's, that's, that's okay. But what fellowship means is that you have something in common. You have uh, a common thing on the inside. Make sure I get the get it said the right way. Sharing things in common with others. Sharing things in common is fellowship. They had everything in common. Now one of the things they had in common was their possessions. They took care of each other. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So they're hanging out in the big group meeting at the temple. They're hanging out in the small groups in the homes eating food. They're having a good time and people keep showing up. New people keep coming in because something good is going on. So they had these four things. Wouldn't it have been cool to be there? To live in that day. Experience those things. Wouldn't it have been cool to be there? Do you know, we have access to everything they had access to. We have everything at our disposal that they had at their disposal. We can live this out ourselves. We can do it. Because the kingdom of God is within you. Now... When Jesus said the kingdom is within you, he wasn't talking just about an individual. 
It could be also described, in some translations say, the kingdom is in your midst. It's within you. It's among you. It's, it's in the group. It's with us. So it's not just with the individual. Of course, it's got to be in the individual, right? But then it needs to be in the group. It's a group thing. The kingdom is within you. It was talking to group. The group. So, fellowship means sharing things in common. What did they share in common? They shared food. They were, they were numbered in the same group. They did some of the same things. Um, but you know what they had in common? Was that they all had something from God inside of them. That's what they had in common. They had something from God in them. That's the main thing they had in common. Something from God in them. So, let's look at 1 John chapter 1. We'll kind of move through this. And here the word fellowship comes up a lot and the understanding of sharing something in common is very, very important. It's not just being part of the same group. It's sharing something in common. So 1 John 1, starting in verse 3, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. This is John. John had seen a lot. John had heard the teachings of Jesus. He had seen the crucifixion. He saw the empty tomb. He saw the risen Lord. This is John. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may share something in common with us. He said, God has touched us. And we're going to tell you about that so that God will touch you. And then we'll have that in common. We'll be able to share that together. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Not just a friend of God, but sharing things in common. Are you catching that? It's one thing to be like God's pet. You know what I mean? Like I got a cat. I like my cat. Spoil them rotten. But we don't really share much in common. You know what I mean? He's a cat. But here, John says our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We share things in common with the living God. Isn't that something? We write this to make our joy complete. And this is inclusive our, all of our joy. So we got joy again, coming from having things in common with God and having that give us fellowship with others. Um, let's go to verse 5. Verse 5. With, this is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you, God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, if we claim to have things in common with God, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, 
And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Do you have something in common with God? If you do, how much darkness are you going to walk in? If you have something in common, you share something in common with God. That means that there's something in here that's from God. Have you experienced that? That touch from God? People, you know, the Bible, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Born of the Spirit. That's a thing from God. Be filled with the Spirit. That's a thing from God in here. It says Christ in us, the hope of glory. God in here. Jesus in here. There's something in here that's from God. That causes us to walk in the light because we share in common with the light. So we're not going to walk in darkness. Now, were these guys completely perfect? If you, if you read this last sentence, I like the last sentence quite a bit. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, meaning, hey man, we both have something from God in us, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. The assumption is you still need to get purified from sin. Okay, you're walking in the light. There's purification that's needed, going to still need to happen. So, it's not that you don't need that. Because, hey, I'm walking in the light. So we're walking in the light so we get forgiveness. We get purified. So what does the promised land look like? I think it looks like fellowship with God and sharing that with one another. There can be a lot of different ways that shows itself. You know, how about eating hamburgers? Sure. That's fine, but it's really not about the hamburgers, is it? It's about having something from God in you and sharing that with other people. They've got that too. They know what it's like. They've experienced God as well. Now, I don't understand all the mechanics of this, but I do know this. If you want something from God in you, you have to ask Him. You just have to ask. He'll put something in there. He did that for me. He'll do that for each one of us. And when you need some more, you know, it, it, it feels like to me, the thing from God in my heart, it leaks out. It would be great if it didn't. <laughs> but it leaks out. We need to get more in. More and more. Keep full. The promised land looks like having something in common with God. Sharing that with God and then sharing that with one another. I'm going to invite the prayer team forward. We're going to close up. Let me ask you, what really matters? What really matters? Does a, a smile and a nod, does that matter? I think it does. I think it matters. This morning when the sun came up, the birds started chirping. Does that matter? I think it does. And I think being able to appreciate those moments really matters. It's a big deal whether or not we can enjoy each moment. When I was a, a brand new Christian, I didn't understand that at all. And I thought, man, this life is, who even cares? This is a short-term thing. It's going to be done. We're going to go to heaven. Let's get there 
as soon as we can. You know, what difference does this make? But I tell you what, this is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Let's experience each moment. That's where we start to get into that fullness of joy. We got that thing from God in us. We're hanging out with other people who are like that. And then other people that are made for that. And they'll get it. They'll get it. We just got to keep believing for them. To be able to appreciate the meal. To be able to appreciate just the smile and the wink. That matters. But what matters the most is having that thing from God in here. And I tell you, it's there for the asking. We don't need to understand much. You know, this people intellectualize the Scriptures and that sort of thing. We don't need to understand much. We just need to know, God, we need you in here. I need you. I need you to touch me because on my own, I'm in trouble. And so we can ask and we can receive that. So let's Close in prayer. If you're not sure what it means to have that thing from God in you, you know, we're going to pray. I, I encourage you to ask. We've also got the prayer team up here. If you're really not sure and you need some help working through it, somebody to talk to, process these things, they'll pray with you. If you've got any other type of needs, like you got a physical healing need, you got a relational need, uh, there's some broken relationships or something. You need some prayer for that. How to handle things properly. You need guidance or wisdom. Uh, you got a financial need. Whatever it is, the prayer team will pray. So let's close together. Father, I thank you that you do touch us. I thank you, Lord, that we can have fellowship with you. What an amazing deal that is to share things in common with you. Lord, let that light shine in our hearts. Let it come forth. Oh Lord, so that we can share that with one another, so that we can live in that, in the light, where there's no darkness, where we're not hurting each other, but we're encouraging each other and loving each other and bringing each other up. Help us to walk in those ways, oh Lord, in all the little things. Lord, that expresses itself with a smile, with a handshake, with a hug. It expresses itself in just eating meals together in so many different ways. Lord, help us to live that out. Help us to do that in small groups. Help us to do that in big groups. Help us just to do that wherever we go. So I speak a blessing over each one in this place. Let your light shine in our hearts. That we can have fellowship with one another. And Lord, that your light can shine in this world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you need some prayer, come on down. They'll pray with you. Otherwise, have a wonderful afternoon. Say hi to somebody you don't know and encourage them in the Lord.